Hello and welcome back to the Squadcast, the podcast from London voice agents, Voice Squad. We are continuing our new series in which we interview clients we regularly work with for their unique perspective on the industry and on voice acting in general. Once again, a reminder that these interviews were recorded at the beginning of lockdown and were beset with technical difficulties. As such, we ask for your patience with some of the recording qualities and hope that this won't affect your interest and enjoyment in the content of the conversation. In this episode, Orla Quilligan interviews Phoebe Schofield, a legend within the world of ADR, which is background dubbing for film and television. Phoebe has worked on hundreds of TV shows and movies, working with artists to provide convincing background chatter and dialogue for crowd scenes. Please note that the audio quality is particularly poor on Phoebe's side, but we hope that the interview will be fascinating enough for you to look past that. So, here is Orla interviewing Phoebe. Thank you very much for joining me. Could you give us a bit of history? of the company. Well, um, Jay, who was my other half, um, started dubbing in Paris uh, around 50 years ago, so a long time ago when he was at school. And uh, then he went to drama school in London, he went to Central, and he was introduced to Robert Rietti, who was like the lead guy in uh, dubbing in ADR. And he did his first ADR job in 1971. And he, he became really well established working for all the major players at the time. It was Louis Elman and Brendan Donison. And uh, when I met him, he stuck me in the back of the recording room for two years just to watch and listen. I literally, every time I could, I'd just go and sit at the back of the room and watch what everybody else was doing. And I was so intimidated. I thought, oh, my goodness, this, I'll never be able to do this. It's so clever and so skilled. Um, But eventually, you know, I got my chance, joined the team, and in 2000, a company called Future Post, who are now where Halo is in Knoll Street, uh, they opened a a set of ADR studios and asked um, the two of us to cover all their voice casting. And so we thought, great, you know, this is a start for us. Um, We'd been doing it together for 10 years, and as I say, Jay had been doing it for 20 years before that. But we couldn't think of a name, uh, and there was a very, very well-known voice artist called Eve Karp, and um, uh, she gave us the name. She said, I've always wanted to to have my own dubbing company, but I'll never start it. I'll never never do ADR. I'll never run a company. Um, But I think the perfect name for it would be Sink or Swim. And uh, it stuck. So... uh, other companies we, we noticed when we were working for them tend to form a sort of repertory company. Uh, they use the same voices again and again, uh, so they all know each other very well, and they can bounce off each other. But we thought that we should sort of aim for more of a bespoke casting and carefully choose each actor for their suitability for the job um, rather than their ability as a team player. So that was kind of where we came from when we started Sink or Swim. Uh, and that was 20 years ago. You are so well established. And obviously, Jay was a complete icon within the industry, even somewhat as an outsider myself. I was aware of how important he was. And we were so sorry to to hear of your loss. Our sympathies really, really are with you. It's amazing how you've been able to to carry on with the important work that you do. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be honouring his legacy if I didn't carry on. Um, he had such a great vision, and I learnt everything I know from him. So uh, I'm so pleased that uh, 
I'm sort of carrying it on in both our names. And in fact, whenever I quote for things, I always say we and our, because it is still we and our. So yes, thank you very much for uh, your your lovely words. He was he was an amazing person, uh, not just to work with, but to share a life with. So thank you. You're very welcome. And so could you talk us through the ADR process from beginning to end? The first thing that happens is a production company will get hold of us, um, either somebody in the post-production team or maybe one of the sound editors, and uh, they want us to cast their voices. Uh, So then we get a copy of the film or the programme, if it's TV, and the cue sheets, and uh, with detailed notes about everything we need to cover. I then sit with the picture and those cue sheets and I mark up every single cue. So for example, cue one might say two women, but that's all it'll say. And I'll note what age they are, uh, whereabouts they are on screen. Okay, they're on the left-hand side. There's one of them's wearing a red scarf. The context of the cue, they're walking to the shops. um, And then what accent or language we may need for them. And then I sit with a big grid at the end of it and work out uh, how long we need in the studio to record it and the very smallest number of actors, because obviously I always have to take into account production companies, their budgets and everything, what's the smallest number of actors we can get away with to cover everything that I've made a note of. I then send a budget to the production with my fingers crossed and uh, uh, they either okay it or they say, you have to revise this, we don't have this in the budget then they pencil the studio time and I start to put the actors in place and then when we've all agreed on the budget, agreed on the actors, agreed on everything else like that, I uh, book them, turn up on the day for the recording, kind of run the session, wrangle the group, make sure they're all behaving themselves and uh, keeping an eye on the screen all the time, make sure I've precast most of the cues so that I know exactly who's going to do which cue as we come along and then I have to get the dreaded paperwork filled out which is the contracts Um, and then I send the final cost to production. Obviously I've sent them a budget, but something might have happened, like they'll say, oh, uh, we're doing episode three and four and five today, but actually we've got to pick up on episode two, so that person will get a bit more money, so I have to change, I have to change the budget, I have to change the contract, so I have to kind of be on the ball all the time, and then, you know, with any luck we get paid, um, and uh, I can pay the actors, or the agents, as, as the case may be. Wow, so many stages and people involved there. Yes. And so you mentioned that uh, Sink or Swim is very unique in that you pick exactly the right actor for the part. So what are the essential things that you look for in a voice? Well, uh, in the main, we're looking for voices that blend in. We need team players. It, it's like a choir. Uh, you don't want a whole load of soloists in a choir. You want a whole load of voices that are going to create this... Um, third soundtrack we're not the music we're not the foley with all the footsteps coming up the drive we're creating a soundscape um, which forms a background to everything that's going on so i need people who um who who fit um and also obviously if i'm if i'm casting i'll need to think uh, okay i've got the men i need a sort of bass bass note a baritone note a tenor note a younger note, an older note. I need to sort of try and get a, a variety of people, depending on what we can see on the screen. I would look for versatility. It can be really helpful if an actor can speak different languages or do a variety of accents. But I've, I really must stress this. It's really important to know native languages or accents. What else? Uh, 
local knowledge. Local knowledge is really useful. Um, I remember a, a comedy series we did about paramedics, and they were kind of herring around the streets of Leeds. Um, so if you've come from Leeds, not only do I want a Yorkshire accent, but if you know the geography of Leeds and you're saying, oh, we're going down the Otley Road now, or something like that, then it, it gives it life. Because that's what you're doing, is you're creating real life. And you're making it up as you go along. So if you've got some knowledge in advance, it really helps in the in process in the studio. So how does your casting process actually work? Do you have people in for auditions or do you take tests? So to cast a voice, uh, the first question is, do I have somebody experienced and write for this already on my books? I know their work. Uh, if I don't have somebody who speaks Swedish and Swahili, uh, then I might go to Spotlight and I'll key in the search criteria, Swedish and Swahili, and um, uh, uh, male, 20 to 30, and up will come any results that might be available to me. Um, the point is that any new person coming onto our books, I always telephone interview them. Uh, I need to hear them improvise over the phone. I need to gauge how enthusiastic they are. If they can't improvise down the phone to me, they're not going to be able to stand up in front of eight other people and a producer and a director and make up dialogue on the spot. So I really need to know that they're going to be able to turn up and, and um, I would say, 99.9% .9 of the time. You know, once I've done that telephone interview, I'm rarely wrong. So it could be a bit of an intimidating prospect, as you said, you're standing up before all of these people to improvise. So what advice would you give to an artist before their first ADR session? First of all, it is all improvised. So draw on everything you do in your own life. I mean, I've worked in an ice cream parlour. I've been an air hostess. Um, I've tempted on reception at an ad agency. Uh, I've taught myself computer skills. I've worked in a pub, a deli. I've cooked business lunches. Uh, I've been a runner in a production company. I've answered telephone in an ad agency. I've been a receptionist at a sports channel. What else have I done? I've assessed media responses for ad campaigns. And I've even delivered the census door to door and, and asked people if they filled it out and collected it from people. My mother was a local councillor, so I used to spend hours on people's doorsteps canvassing. I take all of that to help me create dialogue for the characters that I can see on screen. The other piece of advice is actors should never be too interesting. You are providing a soundscape. This is a texture we're, we're creating here. It's got to be real, otherwise it will spring out, but it's also not got to be too exciting. The audience want to hear what the principal actors are saying in the foreground and not be distracted by someone being funny or dramatic in the background. So that's the other thing is learn to be boring. <laughs> <laughs> Mundane. Mundane, yes. <laughs> Very good. Your word is better than mine. And so is it challenging recording with artists when they are recording in other languages? I'm a linguist myself, so I've always found learning and listening to other languages really interesting. Um, uh, and... In the main, I favour foreign voices who have uh, acting or mic experience. But if I have like a tricky language, like Dinka from South Sudan or Arabic from the Yemen, um, uh, and there are simply no trained actors anywhere who speak that language, 
or dialect. I'll start by approaching consulates and local community associations. And uh, the one thing you need with foreign languages is trust. Because, frankly, if they're speaking Dinka, I've got no idea what they're saying. And we can't afford to have people swearing in their own language in the background of a Disney film. There is a lot of trust involved with, with foreign language work. Gosh, that's really amazing that you'd have to go to that extent to find artists for languages that might be very niche. We went to a Tibetan refugee centre to find people who speak Tibetan. Wow. Wow. Amazing. But it was lovely because they were so excited to be involved. We had a whole load of ladies um, um, who, who did Somali refugees for us, and they had been refugees in Somalia. So if, if anybody could tell their story, they could really well. So that was fantastic. And and you learn so much from people from kind of all walks of life. I think it's a it's one of the rewarding things that, that, that one can do. Definitely that sounds like such a rewarding experience. And so how many artists might you record with on one project? So you'll have multiple in a single session. And then how many might work across the entire project? And how often might artists multi-role? Can you use one artist for many, many parts? Or do you really have to make sure you're not getting the same voice cropping up? Well, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? I always advise productions on the ideal number of actors to make sure that they're not hearing the same voice again and again. And uh, the amount of recording time they need. But it's all about budgets. And uh, um, most television series allow for about six to eight people uh, across a four-hour session to record either one or two whole episodes in that time. Uh, So that's a sort of standard. uh, And then you might have, so like something like Call the Midwife usually has around eight episodes in the series. So you'll probably have four, maybe five sessions on Call the Midwife scattered across, say, three months. Once people get into Call the Midwife mode, you tend to use the same people again and again for that show because they know they know what's expected of them. Same with something like Line of Duty. Um, uh, uh, there, there's a very specific style of delivery you need for uh, Line of Duty where um, you're doing all of the uh, radio transmissions and these police people do it these police officers do it all day every day so it's kind of like AR2 to 263 this is control you know and and that kind of thing has to be very flat and very so once somebody's very good at it you're not likely to use somebody different and try and spread it around a bit I'm afraid but obviously we cast a lot of a lot of stuff so we try and uh, spread the love as much as we can and it's true to say if you've got a bigger budget the more likely the program or the film will be nominated for sound awards so the more people you get you know when when we did something like chernobyl um uh, they just said make this sound right so in the first episode they gave us two and a half days to record one episode and we had a session with the firefighters we had the session with the people from pripyat we had the session with the workers from the chernobyl plant we had the session with the politburo um and we had the session with the firefighters so uh um Everybody sounded different, and, and there was a, a, a wealth of sounds. And of course, Chernobyl won every sound award across the board, you know. Uh, so it, it does work if, if, if they can find the money. But as I say, a lot of productions, you know, they, they just can't do that. Um, 
and uh, that's why the the onus is on on me to find people who are versatile. When you are recording in a session with multiple artists, what's it like for you getting everyone to work together? Do you have to pick out different people's strengths and weaknesses and kind of manage them as a team? Well, no, I think I think you're asking uh, the easy question here because uh, I always work with team players. Mm-hmm. So uh, I need people who are prepared to try everything and work with anyone. Um, and everyone has to leave their ego at the studio entrance. So... I, I try and make sure the actors uh, have the right amount of breaks, they have good refreshments. I think my job is to look after them and encourage them, come up with ideas when, they, when they're running short of things to say. If they need to scream and shout a lot, uh, you know, and we do an awful lot of dying and fighting in battles and things. I make sure the studio's got ample stocks of honey and lemon and licorice tea <laughs> and all that sort of thing. Uh, and um, also, if I think they've given 108%, which everybody does then the best thing to do is to go to the pub afterwards um, and you know if they've been really good I might even buy them around um, so th- this is all little things but I, I honestly see that see that that's my job as the wrangler is is not to sit there with a clipboard and and mark cues off but to to just be encouraging in every way I can be and the other thing I think is really important is I would never ever ask an actor to do something I wouldn't be prepared to do myself. Definitely. That's a, that's a really good point. And so those artists do come back and record with you time after time. Um, so I suppose they would epitomise all those things that you've mentioned. Is there anything else that really gives them that star quality for you? Oh, my goodness. Um, the A-team, if you like, they all have, they're all versatile. Mm. They're all incredibly enthousi- enthusiastic. They're committed. They have real focus, tons of energy, and, and a really positive attitude, and they're really talented. So, I mean, that's, that's what gets you through the door again and again and again. Which of the projects that you've worked on did you enjoy the most? Now you're asking. That's really hard, because um, I love a challenge, and there's, there's mm. always something that really draws you to every single job. I think probably your listeners might want to hear some stuff we've done though and obviously I've mentioned Chernobyl but you know we've we've done all three series of Killing Eve we're about to start the next one we've done Riviera the third day that was quite recent I May Destroy You that that attracted a lot of plaudits Um, we've done all four series of The Crown Uh, we're doing Cruella for Disney Uh, there's, there's lots and lots of different things we're doing Amazing, yeah. It's so incredible, everything that you've worked on. And as you've mentioned, things have changed because of coronavirus. How have you adapted to recording in lockdown? Well, that's been a real journey um, because we can't gather everybody around the same microphone anymore because of this aerosol problem. So uh, any studio work that we do do, everybody has to be on a separate microphone. They all have to be two metres apart. And so most studios, the maximum number we've had in a studio is five, maybe six at a pinch. Uh, The other thing we've done is during lockdown, a lot of actors have set up home studios so we can record them all simultaneously down the line as if they were in the same room. But that has a difficulty in that we're at the mercy of the internet. And I sit at home with any of these situations with my headphones and the, and the computer and I direct operations from a distance. So 
also I don't have that kind of personal hands-on thing going on. Uh, we have recorded some very large groups in the outdoors uh, where obviously the safety rules um, can be more relaxed because you're breathing in the fresh air just like you can if you're outdoors at the moment. So we've had up to sort of 10 people. We're just trying to be inventive and um, and keep people working. Definitely. And it's true. You really have so much in your plate. You are you must be one of the hardest working people in the industry. I would put a bet on it. I do start most mornings at um, between five and six. Oh, God. So that I can then start recording between nine and six mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then do some more work for probably an hour and a half afterwards. So I do very long days and, uh, and then I can do all of my admin on Saturdays and Sundays so I rarely get a day off but um, I'm glad to be busy in in these troubled times there are a lot of people who aren't and you know I do think of them and I am super grateful to be to be lucky enough to be able to continue doing the work I do so well thank you so much for chatting to me it's been so interesting to hear about the whole process and really get to the heart of what you do and it's clear that your love for it is what really drives you through and keeps you happy when you're working so, so hard. Thank you. Thank you very much. This episode of the Squadcast was made for Voice Squad Limited. The introduction was read by Emma Torrance and the interviewer was Orla Quilligan. The podcast was written and edited by Emma Samuel. For more information about Voice Squad, you can visit voicesquad.com or check out our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn.